Well, good morning again, and welcome to Encounter Church. Uh, we're in a series right now called Weird, and it's actually a study of, uh, of the book in the Bible called First Peter, and more on that in just a moment. kind of want to set the table of our conversation today uh, by, by letting you in on perhaps one of the most frustrating experiences that I have in my walk to try to follow Jesus more and more closely all the time. One of the most frustrating experiences that I have is when somebody takes like a, a pot shot at my beliefs, kind of like a, like a drive-by shot at, uh, at the beliefs that I hold so, so dearly, and they're not really interested in hearing a response or entering into a conversation about this thing. They just kind of wanted to take a shot and drive right on by. If you've had one of these experiences, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Somebody says something or does something. It's like pulling a pin on a grenade and then just like, here, hold on to this for me, would you? And it's, it's, it's frustrating, it's infuriating, and I just don't know how to respond all the time. So an example of this, a little while ago, I'm in this circle, and it's a, it's a mixed group of people, right? So you've got people who are maybe Jesus followers, most of whom in the circle are not, and we're trying to we're trying to plan an event together and uh, planning out dates and times and a weekend comes up and somebody goes, oh, that's a Saturday to a Sunday. So like, you know, preacher boy over here, Dirk, Dirk is out. We know that one, right? And, uh, and I, and I want to say something and somebody hears like, oh, church, I used to go to church. It was terrible. And I'm like, you know, everybody kind of like looks at like a dude like hijacking the conversation goes, oh yeah, it was awful. It was just boring, right? It was judgmental. It was super political and I just needed to get out. And there's like a tiny little pause and I, and I want to just jump in and it's like, hey, you've got your bad church experience. I want to share my good church experience. I want to tell you about my church. I want to tell you about these people. I'll tell you about Encounter. Like we do something every November called Doing Good Month where we house homeless families, right? We do all this, give away a tenth of everything that we receive. We throw these big parties. It's awesome. Like I want to tell you about my experience with you all at Encounter. And before I can jump in with my good experience, the whole conversation just kind of moves by. And I don't get like a chance to respond because really at the end of the day, nobody really cared in the first place. It was just like somebody wanted to do one of these drive-bys, wanted to take these little pot shots, and I don't really have an opportunity. And so it's like, how do, you how do you defend your faith in a context like that? And some of you, you know, it's like September, which is suspiciously close to October, which butts right up against November, and you're going... Thanksgiving is coming up, and I can look around the table, and I know the faces that I'm going to have to interact with at Thanksgiving every year. I've got an uncle who is, is not really spiritual or religious, and he finds a way every year, every time I see him, to like remind the entire table of that fact. It's like, man, I've, I, he's got three or four points, and he just kind of cycles between all of them. And he's not interested in hearing the response. He doesn't want to engage in a conversation, sit down, read a book, listen to a podcast. None of that. Like, how do you defend your faith in light of somebody who really, at the end of the day, just doesn't care? Right? Looking around the rest of the table, and it's going, I get a you know, father-in-law over here who who sends me these news articles, like just these links in my inbox all the time about pastors that absolutely stepped in it, you know, totally messed up, some kind of grand moral failure, no context, no invitation to have a conversation over a cup of coffee or something stronger. <laughs> there's, there's nothing like that. It's just like taking these shots and just kind of moving right on by. I got a, a stepmom. You know, and, and I've had a conversation. We've sat down. We've talked about life before. And she told me just exactly why she will have nothing to do with the church. It's because, it's because I got a divorce. You know, and it's almost always messy and hurtful. There's almost always pain involved. 
And the church didn't alleviate any of that. It's just, if anything, they just heaped on more pain, more hurt. I just don't want anything to do with it. And the conversation just kind of moves on. How do you defend your faith in light of something like that? And then you might have the opportunity of actually sitting down. And then there's really difficult questions. In fact, one of the most common responses that I get when I'm encouraging many of you to step out and to like try to share your faith and like it doesn't have to be unusual or strange just go ahead you know make the recommendation share your faith one of the most common responses that I get is what if they ask me a question that's really really hard what if they ask me something that I don't have the answer to what if they ask me why terrible things happen in this world why like Hawaii is on fire or there's an earthquake in Morocco last week what if I what if they ask me about these hurricanes that are like ravaging these Caribbean islands what if they ask what if they open up a Bible and they're like, so I was reading in the Old Testament, and you're like, here we go. You know, what did you read? Well, I was reading in the Old Testament, and Joshua says that the sun stood still. Like, I don't have a strong grasp of physics, but does that mean the earth kind of just stopped? And if the earth stopped, and Isaac Newton says that objects like us who are in motion, want to stay in motion, shouldn't we all be in like outer space right now, like floating around? Like, how do you explain some of this? And some of you had the opportunity where you're sitting in maybe a classroom, and it was a teacher or professor, and they just kind of like took a shot, and there's like this power dynamic there, and you can't be the guy who like raises your hand and makes his defense. That only thing, that only happens in the movies. That's not real life. Real life is just kind of moves on. And it just kind of leaves you like gnawing in the back of your head. That was a really good question. And I don't have a really good answer for it. How do you defend your faith? Forget about them, even just to yourself. How do you explain it to yourself when there's some really good questions out there and you don't have very good answers? I want to give you the way to short answer, the way too simplistic answer on all of that. I'm going to have a better one if you stick around for a little while, but I want to give you at least something if you, in case you have to get up and use the restroom and tune out of this thing entirely. I understand, but the way too short answer, the way too simplistic answer is how do you answer all of that? You don't. You don't have to. Uh, Prime Minister Winston Churchill uh, in, the, uh, in, in the UK, he was kind of the leader of, of Great Britain in World War II, like fighting against Nazi Germany. So this guy's a boss. He's got this awesome line. I love it. In the 1940s, he goes, uh, you're never going to get to where you're going if you take the time to throw stones at every dog that barks. And it, it leads me to a couple of questions. Like what was happening in the 1940s besides World War II when people were throwing stones at dogs? I don't know, right? Like that doesn't make any sense. Also, I would not recommend using that line to your, to your stepmother-in-law when, when, she, uh, when she brings something up and you're like, hey, listen, uh, my pastor told me not to throw stones at dogs that are barking. So if there's, no, 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 no. Don't bring me into that train wreck, all right? Don't bring me into Thanksgiving. I don't need that. But the, but the, point, the point remains, though, is, uh, is there's going to be questions that are lingering out there. You, there's going to be questions. You don't have good answers for. That's okay. Because we're, we're, we're going somewhere. Sometimes you, have, you feel like you have to have the answer to everything in order to, to make one meaningful step forward. And I'm just simply saying, because seatbelts exist, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know everything. What I mean by that is, is many of you are going to get into a vehicle afterwards, right? And we say things like faith, like, I've got to have more information. I've got to know exactly about it. I've got to have all of the details, everything worked out. And you're going to leave here today, you're going to get in a car, and you're going to put a seatbelt on because you don't know what's going to happen when you exit the parking lot. You're safe here. We've got a team for that. But when you get onto the road, 
Like, you don't know what's going to happen, and so that's why you take these protective cautions. Some of you have entered into a relationship, and you know the risk involved in entering into a relationship. Some of you have even asked somebody to marry you, and you know, and you've seen stories, and you've heard things. Maybe you've experienced things. You've been hurt in the past, but you enter into that relationship knowing it could cause a world of hurt. Why? Because you don't have to know everything in order to take a meaningful step forward. And so it's my hope today that we're going to highlight some things in scripture that are going to help you take this meaningful step forward in, 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 in your faith life. Um, but I don't want you just to hear it from me. We have a source so much better than that. So we're going to go to the, a book in the Bible, the far back of the Bible. It's called First Peter. And First Peter's we're opening up and we're kind of in this series called Weird, how all of this life of faith following Jesus is weird in so many different ways. And he gives us, Peter gives us the extra, this extraordinary insight into what to do and how to respond when everybody, when anybody leverages something at you and you have to defend your faith and maybe they don't care or you have to defend your faith and maybe it's a really good question that they're asking. And Peter's going, I get that. So let's go to there. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to go to verse 3, and we pick it up right here. Uh, Peter starts off and he goes, uh, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? We'll come back to that in a moment here. He finishes out, he goes, but even if you should suffer for what is what, right, you are blessed. We're talking about suffering. And then he quotes Isaiah in the Old Testament. He goes, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. And it's a little bit intimidating when, when, when Peter is saying, uh, listen, um, you know, there, there's people that are out there to get you. And I just, I just don't want, I don't want you readers of this stuff, I don't want you guys to be afraid. And you're going, easy for you to say, Peter, right? Like you're writing this, what, from the, the safety of your living room? Wrong. Uh, some of you just kind of joining in the series, wondering maybe who this Peter guy is that's writing these letters. Peter was an ordinary guy. He was an average guy. I love Peter because he's so typical of, of all of us. You know, he's out there. He's, a long time ago, he's working in a fishing business, really his dad's business. He's out there. He's fishing all night long, trying to catch some stuff, not really coming up with much. And then, uh, and then in the morning, he gives up. He's like, I've been doing this all night. I can't do this anymore. He's out there with his brother. He's out there with some other guys, and he's fishing his nets uh, with, with the boats pulled up on the shore. And this preacher guy comes along named Jesus, and he starts talking to this crowd. And every, everybody's, like, listening. And, and, you know, Peter, he's cleaning the nets. He's taking the beer cans out of the nets. You know, he's doing that sort of thing, like, getting everything ready for the next time he goes out. And he's kind of, like, listening, too. And then preacher guy is like, uh, hey, would you take me out to go fishing? Now that I've been talking a while, it's no longer nighttime or even morning. Now that it's, like, the middle of the afternoon. And Peter's going, uh, you said you were, like, a carpenter by, by training? Yeah. I can tell because you know nothing about fishing, Jesus. If you were a fisherman, you would know you fish at night when the water is cool and the fish are up towards the top. That's when we can catch them with the nets. Like, dude, you're a carpenter. You wouldn't know this. But during the daytime, like it is right now, the fish, like the, the water is a lot hotter. So the fish go down into the cooler water. There's no way we're going to catch any fish. And Jesus is like, why don't we give it a shot anyway? <laughs> And they, like, they head out into their boats. They, they go out into the, into the lake. And you kind of know what happens. It's like they have this haul of fish that they bring up. And Peter's like, I don't think that he's just a carpenter or a preacher. I think he's a lot more than all that. And Peter, we see him, like, step onto the pages of history. And that's why we're still talking about Peter today. Because he made that decision to leave the nets, leave the family, leave everything behind. And go and follow Jesus. And man, would he follow Jesus. 
when we pick it up in 1 Peter, when he's writing this letter, we see that this is a time and place. It's been a long time. It's been like 60 years or so. It's been a while. He's now, he's now in his older age. Peter now is uh, he's writing in Rome, the capital city of the, the Roman Empire, and things are difficult. Because as, as this Jesus movement has spread, not everybody has been on board with it. And so uh, three, three arguments that people are using against the Jesus movement, against the, the Christians, is number one, they're going, the language that you use makes us extremely nervous. You're saying things like, Jesus is Lord. That's a political term. That's what we call our Caesar. That's what we call the guy in charge. You're talking about this kind of like, like, like rival kingdom. When, when you've got a Lord and when you've got a kingdom, that makes us as Romans extraordinarily nervous. I think that you might be an anarchist. You might be trying to undermine this entire process. On top of that, you look at the entire Roman pantheon of gods. You've got Zeus and Hermes and Jupiter. You've got all of these people on the pantheon of gods. And you reject all of them, not even a single one of them. You're like, no, 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 scrap the entire thing. Like, we don't have a bucket to put that in because everybody believes in some god of the pantheon. But you're saying, like, none of them? Like, come on. Not only are you an anarchist, I think you might be an atheist. You're rejecting all of our gods. And in the time that Peter was writing, Nero was the emperor. And around that time, give or take, there was a fire that broke out in the city of Rome. And they built things primarily with wood. And so you can imagine what happens when a fire starts off in a city made primarily of wood. It burns. And like a third of the city was burned. And, and Nero, as a, as a leader, you know, the guy in charge of it all, he's going, well, we need to blame somebody. Two birds with one stone will blame the fire on the Christians in Rome. So, so Peter is writing in Rome. And he's going, the, the church and this movement that I'm representing is a group of anarchists, atheists, and arsonists. You thought your church had a marketing problem. And Peter is writing to this group, and the words that he uses, he goes, hey, listen. I know things look pretty dim, but don't be frightened. Peter, who are you to say that you of all people should know that you should be frightened? You know, in Rome, Peter, he was going to be arrested. He was going to be tried. They decided to crucify him. According to legend, they decided to crucify him. And he's going, no, no, no. I don't, I don't want to be crucified. I'm not worthy of being crucified in the same manner of, as my Lord and Savior, Jesus. So don't crucify him. Find some other way to kill me. And because of the Romans, sick sense of humor, they decided to crucify him just upside down. And I just have this sneaky suspicion for Peter as he's leading the church in Rome, like in enemy territory. He knows it's not going to end well. And yet, he says, don't be frightened. I feel like Peter knows something. That the rest of us are just kind of catching on to. Let's continue the line. He goes, don't be frightened. Don't be frightened. After all, uh, in your hearts, in your hearts, revere, uh, that means like, like hold close, uh, hold as holy, revere Christ as Lord. That's, that's the word again. Remember, Caesar is Lord. It's a Greek word. It means kurios. Like it's that political term. It means like the highest possible office. And the reason why I kind of bring that up is because he's going, hey, listen, listen, listen. You don't have to be afraid because the highest person in your land isn't Caesar. The highest person in your heart 
isn't Caesar. The highest person in, in your heart isn't your career. The highest thing in your heart isn't the success that you have or the amount of money that you have in the bank. The, the person that's highest in your heart isn't your boyfriend or isn't your girlfriend. Th- that highest level in your heart isn't actually anything in this world at all. But revere Christ as Lord. It's Jesus. And then he gets into it. He gets into this, this awesome answer, right? He goes, always be prepared. This is this exceptional wisdom that we're picking up here. Always be prepared. You know, be ready, get ready to give an answer. It doesn't have to be the answer for every possible situation, but always be prepared with an answer to every one of them. Like there can be a universal answer for every single person that leverages something, whether they care about your answer, they don't care about your answer, whether it's a teacher or a professor, whether it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, a roommate, somebody. Everybody who asks you, you can have an answer who gives you for the reason for the hope that you have. Like, you don't have to defend the beliefs of somebody at your church. You don't have to defend my beliefs. You don't have to defend, again, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. You don't have to defend the beliefs of your parents or somebody that somebody else saw on TV. You don't have to defend their beliefs at all. You just have to defend the reason for the hope that you have. And for Peter, guys... For Peter, this is not just like an intellectual exercise. For, for Peter, he's ready. He's prepared. He's ready for somebody to knock on his door at any moment and to ask him, you seriously ready to give your life for this whole thing? I've got some questions for the, for the hope that you have. And Peter isn't going to go down a list. He's not going to explain the entire Christian worldview. There's not time. He's not going to explain the stories in the Old Testament. It's not really about that anyway. He's not going to explain what some church did somewhere, some Christians believe somewhere else. He's not going to explain any of it. He's going to zero in on this one specific question. Yeah, but what about you? Why do you choose to follow Jesus? I mean, that's really what Peter is getting into in the question. Why do you choose to follow Jesus? Kind of take a step back for some of this. We're talking about defending our faith on some of this stuff. And I, I want to acknowledge, when, when people come to you, or maybe, maybe just some of the objections that you kind of have that, that raise, and you're like, I don't know, I don't know about this, I don't know about this whole thing. Uh, people, including, you know, present company included, will take shots. We'll take shots at the church, because if you've met people in the church, they're filled with the people. And church would be great if not for all the people. And I get it because I'm on the inside. I'm a part of that too. And I make mistakes all the time. And, and I'm a person that, that ends up hurting people because hurt people hurt people. And we're all hurt in some way. And this, it's just the whole thing. It's a, it's a miracle of God that any of this works out. Anyway, you know, like people will take shots at the church and probably rightfully so. You know, we've earned that. People will take a shot at like the concepts of heaven and hell. I get that. It seems unjust. It seems unfair. I can't explain it. People will take shots at the very idea of God. But if you've been paying attention to the conversation, if you've entered into this with with anybody really at all, you'll know that people tend very rarely to take shots at Jesus. Like you can talk about belief systems, you can talk about churches, politics, you can do the whole thing. But very rarely will people talk about Jesus. And so when Peter is giving us this this example, when Peter is kind of leading the way and he's going, man, it can be wild out there. It can be dangerous out there. Somebody could knock on the door at any point and take your life from you. You could, you could lose a relationship. You could lose a job. There's a lot at stake here. And so for Peter to go, hey, listen, I have this weird hope. And for Peter, it's going to have something to do with this line right here, this weird hope, resurrection. His weird hope hangs 
on the resurrection. Peter doesn't sense the pressure like we all do to try to defend some kind of political perspective. Peter doesn't try to defend the church or any kind of doctrine even within the church. For Peter, it is and has always been about the resurrection. You know, I mentioned the fishing story early on when he's like cleaning the nets up and Jesus comes along and says, you know, like, take me out of the boat. And then after that, like Peter follows him everywhere. He stepped onto the pages of history. There was a moment, at least for a few days, where Peter tried with everything that he had to step off the pages of history. Because Peter's a smart guy, like a lot of us. And when he saw his leader, when he saw the rabbi, the God, the Lord of this movement that he was a part of, when he saw Jesus arrested, crucified, and put into the grave... I mean, even Peter knew that this movement was petering out. I'm sorry, you'll, you'll forgive me for that one. It's just a dad joke I had to sneak in. But like, Peter gets it. He's going, this thing is done. Our Lord is dead and buried. I had it wrong. And so Peter did what a lot of us would do. He went back to his nine to five. If you want to read the story, you can go to John 21. But, but allow me to just kind of recap. Peter is out there with his brother, and he's back to the nets. He's back in the boats, and it's morning time, so you know, remember, because we're all like fishing experts now. He's, he's been fishing all night long, and it's morning time, and he's not coming up with very much. And he's kind of getting frustrated because he's restarting his entire life, as any of us would be. And this joker on, stay, or on, a, on the, the, the shore comes along and says, Hey, you guys in the boat! And he's like, You've got to be kidding me. I am way too exhausted for all this. Have you tried throwing the nets on the other side? And he's like, Oh my, why does this keep happening to me? Like, do they not understand how fishing works? But for whatever reason, he didn't catch anything at all. He's like, okay, I guess let's just pick up the nets and just put them on the other side. We're in a lake, man. You think the fish know one side of the boat from another? Like, nobody cares. But for whatever reason, maybe just to prove the guy on shore wrong, he picks up the nets, he throws them on the other side. And listen, he and his, he and his butts, they can't even pull the nets up. In fact, the nets start to break apart because there's so many fish whole, held up in those nets. And it, and it clicks. The guy on the beach. You know, and so he jumps out of the boat and he starts like swimming onto the shore to see that guy because he knows who it is and Jesus is on shore. And he's like, don't forget the fish. I'm hungry. I've been dead for three days. So he goes back to the boat. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Here I get, grabs those fish and he, go, and he goes over. And, and Peter gets this. Peter has breakfast with Jesus on the beach. And I just need you to imagine. I just need us to, uh, just to, 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 to go there and to smell the campfire. And maybe to taste the fish and to hear the conversation and to hear Peter going, man, I can't explain the stories of the Old Testament. I don't get the creation six days, but the fossil record, I don't know how the sun stands still, but you know, we didn't fly off from the planet. Like, I, I don't get it. But, but, but listen, but listen, I had breakfast with a man that I saw die. And they put him in the grave. And then he came back. So my weird hope, my weird hope hangs on the only one that I saw hang on a cross for me. And I just want, I just want to invite you 
anytime that answer comes up, a professor lobs something your way that you don't have a good answer for, or a roommate, or a boss at work, or coworker, hey, try to explain this thing to me because I really don't get it. And you're like, I don't either. But my hope hangs on a man, the only man who hung on the cross for me. Some kind of variation of your answer is, I don't get it. I don't have to know all the answer after all. I'm married and I wear a seatbelt. Like, and those things are related somehow, right? Like, I, don't, I don't get it, but I believe Jesus died for my sins. And then he rose from the dead. So Caesar? Come on, I'm not worried about Caesar. What's Caesar going to do? He's, he's going to kill me. He's definitely going to kill me. That's going to happen. Okay. But like they did that to Jesus too. He called his shot. He said they were going to kill him. They killed him. And then he came back to life and said, I could too. It's, what's the worst that could happen? When I've got Jesus who died for my sin and then rose from the dead. And Peter goes, okay. That might be a tough sell. So this is, this is what we're going to do to make this whole thing just a little bit easier. As you give this answer, we continue on in verse 15. As you give this answer about the hope that you have. He goes, answer, you know, do this with two key words, gentleness and respect. Because your Savior was gentle and, and because, come on, people, people believe things for a reason. Nobody believes things that they know are wrong in the first place. We do this with gentleness and, and respect. We, we enter into every single conversation, even if you think you're right, with a set of respect because, after all, they have a reason for believing that. And it, we have to have the humility to say that if we were to walk in their shoes, we might end up believing the things that they believed in. So gentleness and respect in any context, in any situation, is just sort of the expectation. And Peter goes, okay, okay. And as you start to have this conversation about Jesus and as you think about this, don't forget, please, to keep it by keeping a clear conscience because what what you do is just as important as the words that you say so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And he goes, hold, 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 hold up. Peter, you're saying, I'm going to do everything right. I, I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to be respectful. I'm going to keep a clear conscience. And then I'm going to be met with like slander. And then I'm, I'm going to be met with like these malicious words or possibly actions. Well, that doesn't make any sense. No, no, it does. It makes, it makes so perfect sense. Because once you experience that resurrected Lord, once you experience like that, that breakfast on the beach moment with Jesus and you just suddenly realize like everything clicks, that like I don't have to be afraid of anything in this universe at all when I've got Jesus. Once that change starts to happen from the inside out, people are going to start to take, take notice. People are going to start to look at that and they're going to respond. And oftentimes, it's, the response is going to be negative and it's going to be malicious. And Peter's like, I just want you guys to be prepared for some of that because people see health and they respond with unhealth. And that's just kind of like the world that it works. It's not even just like a spiritual thing. It happens all over the place. And I'm a silly example of this, but stick with me. I'm like pushing 40, all right? And, so, and I kind of I recognize because sometimes my neck hurts, and it's like, well, what's wrong? I slept on it funny. I can sleep wrong. Like my body, pushing 40 now, like things are starting to deteriorate. Things are starting to go downhill, right? And so I recognize that I need to start doing things a little bit differently. I just need to go to the gym every once in a while, get some exercise, and I'm going to have to uh, change what I eat, eat a little bit healthier. 
And so I make these changes, right? Inside, you know, I'm like, okay, things have got to change. Outside, they start looking a little bit different. I start going to the gym. You know the responses, the malicious and slanderous responses that I get? Hey, man, you got to watch out. You, you go to the gym too much, and those, it, your knees are going to start giving you trouble. Like, it's going to be like a huge pain. I'm like, you, what? And they're like, oh, yeah, like there's a rotator cuff. I went to the gym one time, and uh, I still feel pain. Like, every time I raise my arm up, I'm like, hold up. You're saying that, like, exercising is actually detrimental to my health? Oh, yeah, that's why I stay away from it. Like, it doesn't make any sense, right? And you're like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change what I eat. Like, I notice, you know, you're passing on dessert a little bit more often. You're swapping out candy for fruit. And the response is like, yeah, but you know how much, like, sugar is in fruit, right? You've got to be kidding me, bro. Like, show me your buddy who got type 2 diabetes from eating too many apples. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But that's, like, how unhealth reacts to health. And you can kind of start to, like, put this whole thing together. And when you... St- when you start acting kind of weird, right? When you start being more generous with your money, it doesn't, kinda, it doesn't make sense. When you start kind of embodying these old-timey sort of values, people are going to look at you and they might say some things like, dude, that doesn't make any sense and you're spending your money the whole way and it's just save up for the future. Like, you're doing it all wrong. But I'm telling you, and Peter's telling you, even better, that like when they walk away and when they get in their car, it makes an impact. They might call you weird. They might call you even more hurtful things. They might even do something that's hurtful for you because they don't like what the transformation is that they're seeing. But it's going to make an impact. Gentleness and respect without malice or slander influences people. That's what Peter's trying to say. It makes an impact. You don't have to just defend your faith. I think you can influence people. I had a boss uh, years ago. I was, uh, I was in college at some point, and I decided, I don't know where, but I got it in my head, like I was going to be a server. You know, I was, I was going to work at a restaurant. Never worked at a restaurant before. I had zero experience. So much confidence, though. Like, <laughs> we're going to go into this thing, and I'm in the interview with my boss. I still remember his name. His name was Harry, and the interview was going pretty well. And so, Harry, dude, I got I to gotta level with you here. And I feel like this is going all right, so I'm going to make the ask. Um, I'm really involved in my church, and I volunteer all the time. And Sundays are like a no-fly zone for me. I'm, just, I'm not going to work Sunday afternoons. I know it's a big day for the restaurant, for the steakhouse. But Harry, I'm out on Sundays. And he looks at me in the interview. He, you're, you, Dirk, you've got to be kidding me. In an interview, you're going to ask for one day off every single week for the entire time that you might work here? Yeah, that's, that's where I'm going with this, Harry. Yeah, <laughs> I think you got it. He's like, okay, well, this is pretty much over. Um, you're in college. What are you going to school for anyway? And I go, Harry, I'm going to be a pastor. So I'm going to go to school for a couple more years in college, and I'm going to go to seminary, I'm going to do a master's degree. I'm going to be in school for a long time. But, like, this is, this is the vision. I want to work for a church someday. And he sighs, and he looks at me, right? And he goes, all right. I can't stand the Sunday thing, but I have hired a bunch of other future pastors before. And I hate to admit it, because this guy was not a Christian, hasn't, this isn't a turnaround story for him. I don't know whatever happened in his life. But he goes, not a Christian, he goes, I've hired a bunch of pastors before, and I gotta say, it has always worked out. I'm like, what? That was a turn I was not expecting. He goes, you guys, you know, you, you, you learn pretty, pretty good, you kind of, you're open to some ideas. 
Um, so we can cover your lack of experience. Because you show up on time. You work super hard. And the most, most, most important things I've learned about you pastors is you stay out of our booze. <laughs> and for that reason alone, like, you're hired. And I worked there for, like, four years. It was incredible. So many great opportunities. So many great sermon illustrations I get for you. They promoted me as a bartender for a little while. And I'm just, I'm just telling you, like, gentleness and respect, without malice, without slander, it influences people. It influences people. And Peter lands the plane in verse 17. He goes, for after all, isn't it better? If it's God's will, isn't it better to suffer for doing good than for evil? Like bad things are going to happen. We know that bad things are going to happen. Bad things can happen either because you messed up or you failed or you fell down. You tried to hide something. Bad things could happen because you messed up or bad things could happen because you did something good. And wouldn't, wouldn't you rather the reason why you have trouble at work being because you decided to stand up and tell the truth instead of hiding? Wouldn't you rather have trouble in a marriage because you decided to like dig in and invest and to address those really, really hard things than just to ignore them and watch the problems grow and the relationship to atrophy? Like life is gonna be hard. Wouldn't you rather it be hard and difficult? Wouldn't you rather suffer because of something good that you did and something bad? So when you leave here, I think you know how to respond because after all, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus himself also suffered. Why? For you and for me. It's why he did all of it. So guys, you don't have to have the answer to every single question that comes up. But an answer for everyone to ask you for the hope that you have. I mean, come on, really what they're asking is just a simple question. Why do you choose to follow Jesus? And I hope that your answer is some kind of variation. I believe Jesus died for my sins. And then he rose from the dead. And when somebody sits you down and asks you those tough questions, maybe you could even punch it up a little and say, man, my hope hangs with Jesus because he's the only one who hung on a cross for me. Church, I want to invite you to stand up and let's pray to that Lord today. And maybe as I presented this story to you, it spoke to you in a way that was new. And it wasn't anything that I said, but, that, but that's the Holy Spirit like speaking directly into your heart. That's what, it's what he sounds like. That's what God sounds like. Maybe you find yourself like listening and engaged, kind of open to whatever God might have for you in the future, open to some ideas that you never thought in the world that you would be open to in the past. When I pray, I just want to invite you to listen to whatever God might have in store for you. And you might be whispering today to make a public declaration, to show the world you've been raised with Jesus. And if that's you, I want to invite you to, to check out a website, encounterchurch.org slash baptism. October 1, we're going to have the tank out here. We're going to have a list of people who are ready to show the world that they've been raised with Christ. And His Holy Spirit might be speaking to you today to say it's not just for someone else. It's for you. We'd love to have that conversation. 
Let's pray together. Jesus, we come to you because really you're the only one worthy of our praise, of our adoration, of our worship. Jesus, we come to you because you are so much grander and you are so much bigger and larger than anything in this world. We come to you, Lord, because sacrifice and job loss, maybe even the loss of a friendship or a relationship, maybe even the Lord, the loss of our very life pales into comparison to knowing and trusting you. Because after all, Lord, you beat death. What else is there? So come what may this week, our hope hangs with you because you're the only one who hung for us. In your resurrected name, we pray. Amen.